Hey, it's Seth Godin, and this is the Ryan Holtz Podcast. Ryan Holtz is a social media and creative marketing agency owner, husband, father, DJ, global citizen, keynote speaker, and is proud to bring you the Ryan Holtz Show Podcast. podcast uh if you've already not left a five-star review on itunes please do so and if you would like to watch this interview with my next guest please go to youtube.com forward slash ryan holtz but today i have what i would like to call the og of marketing the godfather of marketing and it's so funny because i'm an avid follower of Seth's blog and I said I really want to read live his current blog post from this morning so yesterday I went to bed and I said Seth please don't write a long blog post for tomorrow morning and uh I mean bingo we have the blog post ready to go uh before I get into Seth's bio uh I'm gonna read the blog post uh from this morning I absolutely love it I think it's great um, and it's titled whiny. It says toddlers whine. Most adults figure out how to lose the habit because it's toxic and yet it persists. Whining is a seductive package deal. When it works, it gets us attention. It lowers expectations. It gains sympathy and it forces people to identify with our pain. And it helps people feel as though they're not responsible. Often the amount of whining is totally unrelated to the level of discomfort and it seems to increase with how much privilege people perceive they deserve. So why avoid it? Because it changes our outlook on the world. When whining becomes a habit, we need to continue it. So we begin to interpret events as opportunities to prove our whining is justified. And because over time, people hate being around a whiner, the selfish desires of the habitual whiner eventually become clear. We realize that our shared reality is the world as it is, and that the whiner isn't actually being singled out. And through practice, we learn that the best way to make things better is to work to improve them, not to demand special treatment. Reminding myself of the perils of whining is helpful indeed. Optimists run the risk of being disappointed now and then. Whiners are always disappointing. As an avid uh, follower of your blog, Seth, I wanted to ask you, what is the inspiration when you wake up in the morning and you write these blogs? How do these topics just kind of come into mind and specifically with the one that came out this morning, what's just the mini story behind it? Well, I write my blog because it's a privilege. Uh, it helps me at least as much as it helps the people who read it. Uh, I've been doing it as a, a habit for 20 years and mm. having a streak matters a lot because mm. knowing that there's gonna be a blog post tomorrow, not having to decide if there's gonna be a blog post tomorrow, that's key. That changes mm. everything. And I strongly suggest whatever it is that you do, you mm. figure out how to build streaks into it. Um, I My new book, The Practice, is about inspiration and creativity. I do not believe that inspiration arrives. I do not believe in the muse. I do not believe it's a gift. I think it's effort. Just like selling is effort. Just like uh, uh, shoveling the snow on your walk is effort. If you set out to do it, you will do it. Mm. And in the case of my blog, um, if I see something in the world that I don't understand, I try to make an assertion so I can explain it. Mm. If uh, I see behaviors in the world that don't make sense or need to be named, I try to name them or have them make sense. So basically, it's a it's a map, it's an almanac, it's a chance to put something into the world that may or may not work for other people, and then I learn from that process. 
in this case, I think all of us can imagine that there are whiners in our lives. Some, mm. of, them, some of them are famous people we don't know. Some mm. of them are people we work with. Some of them are us. Mm. And, uh, I think that once we label somebody a whiner, it's much easier to deal with them mm. because we now don't say, oh, they're reporting the truth. We say, oh, this is their habit. Mm. Very interesting. And Seth, welcome to the show, by the way. <laughs> thanks, Ryan. Happy to dive right in, but I forgot to say thanks for having me. Thanks no, having me. no, we, we dove right in. It's, it's really interesting how timing works. I mean, I literally emailed you a year and a half, two years ago. I said, Seth, I'd love to have you come on the podcast. You said, hey, Ryan, I love you, man, but I'm not doing podcasts at this point. And uh, I seen you going around, you know, and, ch and chatting with uh, multiple people and hosts and stuff like that about your your new book, which we'll get into. Uh, and I said, well, it's, it's time to go back at Seth. I, I love the fact that, you know, somebody who's got the accomplishments and accolades as, as you do, and also the, just the worldwide impact, you know, when you email you, I'm emailing you. Like, I'm not getting uh, an assistant. I'm not getting an automated. I'm not getting a virtual assistant, you know, and, and the first time I ever emailed you and you got back to me, I just, I kind of looked at the email for a quick two seconds and I'm like, I think this is him actually emailing me back just the way it was, was typed out. How how have you managed to maintain that, I guess, you know, kind of, you know, on the ground, I'll call it access with, you know, the amount of replies, the amount of messages, the amount of social media that you got going on in your world? Well, first, I'm asking people not to email me unless they have a really good reason. Uh, <laughs> but second, I don't have a staff. I don't have any employees at all. Every mm. word you read from me, I wrote. Mm. Um, and it's a privilege. It's a treat. And I, I value it highly. I don't use Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. And I don't mm. watch television and I don't go to meetings. Mm. So right there, I've got seven hours free that most people don't have. Mm. And uh, I will admit that the fact that I've answered 175,000 emails myself over the years is a bad habit because mm. it distracts me from things that are more scary. Mm. Um, but it is one that pays dividends because I got to meet you. Mm. And so for every 20 spammers I have to plow through, uh, that is worth it. On the other hand, I hate being hustled. I think everyone hates being hustled. Oh, yes. And I just don't even bother answering people yes. who are hustling me for something anymore. You know what? And it's interesting too, because I, I call it like a, like a first date when you're reaching out to somebody for a guest. There's a, there's a certain kind of, you know, symbiotic, uh, you know, I call it symbiotic. I'm a big energy person. And I feel even when I'm typing, I still feel like the energy can go through that key into the other person. And I, some people call me crazy for it. And I'm like, no, because I think it's the intention in which I'm typing with. And I think that sometimes people can pick that up on the other end. At least I hope. But with with you, um, I just think it's it's absolutely marvelous. Is it true? And I, and I wanted to ask you this. Can you still play the clarinet? Well, I don't know what that means by play. Can I make noise come out of it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. You, so so how did the clarinet, how long have you been playing that for? Well, so I don't know if you saw my TED Talk on this or not. I didn't see the TED Talk on that one, no. Okay, the TED Talk's only three minutes long. And uh, I get up on stage. This is the main stage of TED. This is big deal, TED. Big deal, TED. And I get up on stage and the way the TED Talk works is I am assembling the clarinet while I'm talking about the fact yep. that even though I took lessons for eight years, I never played the clarinet. 
played mm. me. I had never once played a note that was worth listening to. Mm. And my rant is about the fact that for kids and adults, we're constantly saying, add more, learn more songs, learn more notes. You got a restaurant, put more stuff on the menu. You got a mm. podcast, make more episodes. Mm. But we don't say to people, why don't you just do one thing that's worth listening to? Mm. No one ever said to me, let's not learn any more songs or any more notes. Let's just play a C in a way that sounds like it's supposed to. Mm. And there's more to the talk than that. But then at the end of the talk, I say thank you and I leave. And I don't play the clarinet mm. because that's the point. Mm. The point is that I haven't, I never decided to invest enough of myself mm. actually be good at it. And if you're not going to invest enough to get through that dip, don't start. Don't keep hacking at it. Mm. And it created a lot of tension in the room because the culture says that what I'm supposed to do at the end of three minutes is go, and everyone go, yay! <laughs> but that's not really my point. My point is we got to quit a lot of things so that we can set ourselves up to do a thing that we can point to and say this. I don't tweet. I don't use Facebook. But my blog, that's that's the one. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Seth, this interview is very personal for me because, you know, when I open, I, I started my first business at 24, I'm 36 now, and, and I own a marketing agency. And I remember back then, you know, I'd always look for content and I, you know, because I wanted to learn and I said, you know, who's some really great peers in this industry that have, you know, kind of trailblazed the road. Um, and you came up and it, it was hard to find you in the sense that there was so much garbage and noise. Uh, in this industry. And then I found my beautiful Seth Godin. And I said, finally, somebody who can just calm everything down and explain things in a way that just makes sense, you know, and um, hashtag hustle porn, you know, everybody's about this hustle, 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 hustle. And I know that's something you're you're adamantly against. And you're like, no, 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 like, let's let's just relax off the hustle. My question to you is 800 rejection letters, you know, getting started in the book business. Um, and you've been asked this question a lot, but I think it's something that people need to, to hear. And I love my audience to hear is that how do you keep going? You brought up uh, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, several times as a way that you've used to say, hey, you know what? When that voice starts coming into my brain of, of kind of negativity and, you know, this is how I've managed to, to get over that hump. What people seem to not understand still in 2020, if not more with the instant gratification you know, of, of social media and, and shopping and all that is the time it takes and the patience it takes. And, you, you know, could you just speak to how do you get through 800 rejection letters to become a 19 book selling author? Huge. <laughs> okay. So the first thing I need to explain is this. The people in the book business in the 80s and 90s, they had a problem, which is they didn't have enough books. And <laughs> I wasn't spamming anybody when I was pitching books. It was their job for me to send them book proposals. Mm. That is totally different than calling people at home out of the phone book and trying to sell them a car, cold mm. call. Mm. I don't think that cold calling makes any sense for almost anybody. Mm. I wasn't cold calling anybody. So I was doing these 800 rejection letters each time earning insight and learning 
and getting thank yous from the editors who would say, this book isn't going to work for us, but thank you for thinking of us. And they meant mm. it because they knew that one day I was going to have something that they wanted. Mm. And that I think is key because too often people associate the hustle and the rejection. And I don't like this whole rejection Olympics thing where people make videos of like going to Krispy Kreme and offending the person behind the counter because they're <laughs> asking for some, like that person's yeah. getting minimum wage. Yeah. Give them a break, right? Yeah. That's not what this is about. Yeah. And so I was able to process the no's as no for now, as mm. uh, what you brought them wasn't you, you brought them a book idea. The book idea you brought them wasn't as good as it could have been. And it wasn't as appropriate for them as it should have been. Mm. But what did you learn? Mm. And I can tell you that the, you know, the book that I sold after that year, which was Professor Herb Barnes on the spot, spot and stain removal guide, Mm. Um, was appropriate and ended up in its second incarnation selling 100,000 copies because it was the right book for the right publisher in the right way. And my name was not on it, mm. right? Because this wasn't about my ego. This was how can I serve a book publisher and a reader and an author by bringing them together in a way that they'll be say that they'll say thank you. Mm. Right? And so I kept turning it to generosity. It was never, where's my commission in this? It was always, mm. how can I solve a problem so that people will say thank you when we're done? That's huge. That's huge. And for everybody listening, I hope you heard that. That's that's huge. You're basically giving without the expectation, you know? And and I think that's that's something that's extremely powerful. And that's that that's a long uh, game advantage. Fast forward into the practice. Very interesting. Uh, I, I like the writing. I. I, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I think maybe, you know, and I read, uh, you know, purple cow, one of my, you know, one of my all times when I think about the practice, it's interesting because you talk a lot about work and shipping the work to get better. So can we, can we dive into this concept? Because a lot of people say, well, it has to be perfect. I got to ship great work. It has to be perfect before I can ship it. And I watched an interview you did and you made such a fascinating point and you said, how can you say you suck at something when you haven't even, you know, put 2000 hours into it or 3000 hours into it. And you said, you know, for you to come out and say, Hey, you know, I, you know, I put up five podcast episodes and I'm really terrible at it. You're like, you just can't do that at that point. Like you need to put out massive amounts of content so that, you know, you can actually invite people to help you get better. So can you talk a little bit about the practice and, and where this came into fruition? And I wanted to ask you when you write a book, Seth, is there any books where you write where you're like, I can actually pinpoint the moment, date, and time in which I got the inspiration to write this book? Or is it a combination of many moments? Okay, so those are two questions. Let's yes. I usually ask six questions. Sorry. Six-part okay, questions. You're ahead of the game. Ahead <laughs> of the game. Um, so if someone is listening to this podcast, it means they have a job where someone doesn't tell them what to do all day. Mm. It means that you have a job where you are given the freedom to find new ways to solve interesting problems. Mm. Because if you have a job where you're told what to do all day, so you're the fry cook at McDonald's, mm. you don't get to make any decisions whatsoever. Mm. For the people who are lucky enough to do work where there is freedom, the reason we get freedom is because our job is to solve interesting problems. And that means we have to shift creative work because 
Creative means you've solved an interesting problem. Shipping means you've put it into the world. You haven't just thought about it. And work, because you do it because it's your job, not because you feel like it, not because you're inspired, but because you said you would. Mm. The book about shipping creative work. And what I have discovered through the years is I can talk about all the strategy and tactics I want, but if people aren't emotionally committed to shipping creative work, nothing's going to happen. Mm. Right. So mm. Purple Cow has sold millions of copies, but the number of people who have used it to make something actually remarkable and brought it to the world is very small mm. because sooner or later we sabotage ourselves. We hold back. We become perfectionist. We, we dumb it down. We make it stupid. We sabotage everything. Mm. And so I've been thinking about and talking about these issues for years and years. And, um, Three years ago, I said, I'm going to make a workshop about this, the creative mm -hmm. workshop. And it took mm -hmm. me uh, more than a year of working on it every day to make it. The, the workshop's going to launch again at Akimbo uh, mm -hmm. in a few weeks. And the creators workshop ended up being 500 people who came together every day for 100 days online. Uh, they gave and got more than 500 pieces of feedback per person over the course of that workshop. More feedback than they had ever gotten in their whole lives. And watching this happen, seeing what worked with people, seeing what didn't work with people, I'm busy taking notes because mm. I, this is like most authors don't get this privilege. What's working? And yeah. as I worked my way through the workshop, I'm like, well, I have to share this with more people. So that's why I came up with the book. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. That's, that's it's great. It's, it's great. So it's, uh, you know, kind of going into um, in New York, you know, kind of where you're, you, you started, um, you keep a lot of, there's not a lot of personal information about you, Seth. And, and, and I've heard other interviewers and it's funny. And I love when you kind of, you, you do a good job of roasting interviewers too, and you do it live. Um, it's, it's, it is interesting. And when you get a, and when you get a question and I don't, and I, I often ask myself, I'm like, I think, is he intentionally trying to roast the interviewer or is he, you know, kind of doing it subliminally because it's so smooth. Um, but every time an interviewer kind of cracks at you on the personal side of things, you know, you said, Hey, I, you know, my personal side is kind of my personal side. I'm not here to, to chat with my personal side. Um, you know, you, you know, you talk on the business side a lot. Is there a, a strategy behind that? Is that just kind of your, your moral compass, Seth, kind of going through your journey? It, it's just a, a question I like to ask only because a lot of people still to this day, they say, Hey, Ryan, you know, should I keep my my business separate from my personal, my personal sure. separate from my business. Um, so I'm not asking about your personal. I'm just kind of no, asking the I reason behind the separate. Yeah. Um, I don't usually seek to roast anybody. So if it's <laughs> that I am, that's just uh, maybe my New Yorker instinct. Uh, it's not judging from your accent. You're from Toronto. Ah, uh, you, you, you're hurting my feelings. I I'm from just outside of Vancouver on the West side of Canada, okay. but, but I'm based in Edmonton. I got the Canadian. You got a little Canadian thing. So I grew up uh, north of Toronto every summer. And um, the Canadian in me uh, really doesn't want to roast anybody. So I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, here's the decision that I made. It's really good for the ego to say that uh, you have a special sauce. Mm. That your personal experience informs your unique magic ability to do X, Y, or Z. Mm. And social media just rewards that over and over again. That's what everybody wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a trap. Mm. The reason it's a trap is because if you didn't have parents like mine, you say, well, I didn't have parents like his. 
And if you didn't have this and this and this and this, mm. you're off the hook. And yes. so what I've chosen to do is I'll use a personal story if I think it opens the door for someone to imagine that they can go forward. But I have disciplined myself not to talk about the personal stuff just because I like hearing about my life um, because it doesn't help other people realize they have as many levers available to them as I do. They're just different levers. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. I, I, I like that a lot. Uh, <laughs> practice. Um, what would you say for you is kind of um, the core takeaway that, that you do want, you know, everybody to, to leave, you know, be left with after reading the book, you know, just in kind of layman's terms where you're saying, hey, when you read this book, I'm hoping that, you know, ultimately you can work yourself to the desired outcome of this is there is do you have that yeah well first of all most people should not read this book um i've only sold books to one percent of the people in north america and mm. that's plenty so 99 mm. of the people if you've got a cog job if you're happy where you are if you are in the right place at the right time th this will not be a helpful disruption for you mm. um but for people who think they have something inside of them that needs to come to the world who have a voice that they want to share, who would like to trust themselves more. What I'm hoping will happen is not that this will inspire you, mm. because inspiration doesn't last very long. I'm hoping that this will help you develop a discipline, a practice, mm. a daily or weekly approach to the generous work you seek to do. Because mm. if you do that, it is certain everything will work better than if you don't. Mm, interesting. Interesting. On the marketing side of everything, um, a marketer, you know, marketing is, is an interesting spot. You know, if I take mm -hmm. uh, uh, my everyday kind of life dealing with clients, because I do client service, and we come up with beautiful, bright ideas and campaigns for our beloved clients that we so love, and then we take that to them, and then they, they just crash it and say, I don't like it, it's not going to work, this and that. Um, I've always been conflicted of marketing in the sense of client work uh, because I love marketing, but I love the process. I love the creativity of it. Um, and it was a desire to even open a podcast uh, because I said, I want to take this thing from cradle to grave and not have any, you know, money or, or opinion say, don't like this, don't like that. I want to, I want to ship it in its full capacity for you. I've heard you say in, in multiple interviews previously that, you know, you don't really market for clients. You know, you, it's not something you, you've said that, you know, and I don't know if this is still true, but how could you speak to somebody who says, Seth, I love marketing, um, but I don't necessarily want to market for other people. What would be some entries into marketing that they could do to still make a living, if that makes sense? Okay, <clears throat> so I have never done one day of consulting. I have no client, but marketing isn't consulting. You do a certain kind of marketing, but there's lots of kinds of marketing. If you're a fundraiser for the United Way, you're doing marketing. Mm. If you're a car, if you're a car designer at um, Polestar, you're doing marketing because the design of the car is a marketing decision. If you are trying to help people understand the uh, impact of uh, shale oil on carbon, you're a marketer because mm. you are telling a story to people that is either going to resonate with them or not. So marketing isn't advertising. Marketing isn't hustle or hype. 
Marketing is making things better by making better things. It is telling true stories to people who want to hear them. Doing work that other people talk about. That's marketing. Mm. And mm. we need a different name for that other stuff, right? Mm. We should call it advertising or promotion or hype or whatever subset someone's in. But mm. marketing is anything that touches the market. Mm. 100%. 100%. You do several, several, several interviews. Uh, <laughs> I went to your site and I love the fact that you actually list the interviews in the podcast. <laughs> and I said to myself, I think he's, he's got one of the world's largest uh, blogs, no doubt. The 800 rejections, I think that's got to be in some Guinness book of just, wow. Uh, but then I also thought, guest appearances on podcasts, my goodness. Like, I, I was scrolling and I stopped scrolling. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. I know. I've seen a ton. I did not realize how many podcasts, though, specifically podcast-style interviews you've done. Um, what would you say to people now because podcasting has kind of became a little sexy and everybody's starting a podcast and you know we know over 90 percent of podcasts they don't even make it past episode seven half the time so what would you say to people saying hey you know when you're getting onto that new shiny thing such as podcasting from your perspective as of of kind of you know going on podcasts what would you say to people who are looking to to maybe go into that and start their own podcast especially with you know securing guests and actually giving somewhat of a decent interview yeah all right so alex de palma who produces my podcast and i run the podcasting workshop and so it is a community of people for 30 days all about this question mm. uh the short answers are don't start a podcast if you're not prepared to get to episode 100 before something good happens. Uh, it's the first 100 episodes. Like every podcast, including mine, uh, started with no listeners. That's yes. got to be true. Right? Yes. So you're just, you're in the void. And that's part of the deal. That one of the best reasons to make a podcast is not because you're going to get listeners. It's because you're going to cogently express yourself. Interesting. Number two is... Uh, the if you decide to do a podcast with guests, which is a crapshoot in and of itself, because A, you have to get guests, and B, most <laughs> guests aren't, aren't, aren't good at being interviewed, um, it's a ladder. And what we take people through in the workshop is, who is somebody who you can get on the podcast tomorrow with an instant yes, like your brother-in-law? <laughs> that's, that's the first guest. Yeah. And who is the guest that you dream of getting. Mm. And then we say, in between those two people, what's the ladder where mm. each person will look at who you've already gotten and say yes, to work your way all the way up? Because too many people say, I'm gonna get my brother-in-law and then next mm. week, Oprah's gonna be a guest or Obama. <laughs> and they yeah. like, they skipped the 80 guests <laughs> that they would need to get in between. Yes. And if you can't draw that ladder, you probably don't have the discipline to start a podcast. Interesting. And in my case, I'm up to 150 episodes. I've never had a guest. I never will have a guest. Yes. Because I think that podcasts with guests are great, but I also think that owning the whole deal and doing it without guests puts you on the hook in a much bigger way. Interesting. Okay. Ooh, Seth. I feel like Seth is, I, I feel like you went at me with that. That's a big one. I, no, no. no, it's, no I, I'm no, saying not, it in a good, I'm not, I disagree with you. All right. I'm saying Just it in a good you. way though, Seth. I'm saying it in a good way. I, I, I like to poke uh, gently fun, fun in a fun way. 
because the thing is, you know, many podcasts with guests, they basically point the microphone at the guests and let them talk. Yes. And what, what you've got here is Ryan's show. And sometimes the guest gets a word in edgewise. And that's yes. great. I like that better. Because yes. that's why someone should listen to your podcast because it's yours. Yes. And, you know, so my approach is um, I, I don't do any podcasts that haven't had at least 100 episodes. Yes. And um, I don't actually believe any longer that this is a good way to sell books or get people to take an action in terms of how much time it takes. I'm doing it to honor the podcaster. So oh. the podcaster is on a journey that I admire and they have shown up with resilience and generosity. I'm way more likely to consider it than if they're after a hustle. How do you know that, Seth? How do you, so your filter system, when somebody reaches out to you, you're just going quick and checking out, hey, how many, how many episodes they got? Do you have, you, you don't, you said you don't have any, a team. So it's you going in and just doing a quick little, you know, audit inventory, or is it just a gut feeling that you have after, after getting hit up so many times and doing so many podcasts? Oh, you can tell. Um, yeah. You know, when someone shows up um, asking me to blurb a book and they've pre-written the blurb for me, and they're telling me how much I'm going to benefit from it. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're hustling me here. You're trading favors. I'm not interested. Yes. And so over time, you know, and there's all sorts of topics that I don't feel any comfort or confidence to talk about. Yeah. So just because someone may know my name doesn't mean I belong on that podcast. So 100% say no, thank you. And, you know, I'm about to take six months off from podcasts because I did a whole bunch. Yeah. Um, so I don't want to raise anybody's expectations, but the the purpose of a podcast isn't to make money because the mm. chances you're going to make money are very low. Mm. The purpose of the podcast is to earn trust. Mm. That trust gives you leverage. That trust helps you change people's minds. That trust opens doors, and you can tell when that's the purpose of a podcast. Mm. And I think that what you know we've had thousands of people graduate from the podcasting workshop and mm. those are the podcasts they're building and the mm. stories we get back are fantastic because this is a magical medium in that somebody who cares can use their voice which is truly human to show that they care and they can do mm. it for years and years and years you know what i love though seth is that when i like for me i've you know curiosity is our mandate is literally our slogan and i i i'm just such a i love the word curious like i i I, you know, it's, it's interesting too. It's very special to me that you're on the show because when I emailed you and you get a ton of emails, I don't expect you to remember, but it was funny because we started talking really quick and I talked about, you know, I'm, I'm a new father and the, you know, I have my son and daughter, my son is four now, my daughter's 18 months. And you sent me this video back. You said, here you go, Ryan. But I, when I watch people get interviewed and what I do love about podcasting is you know, it is long form and you're not just getting a sound bite of that podcast. And the motivation for me is when I watch an interview, even some of the interviews you've done, right? You show up and I'm like, he's been asked this question like 10,569 times. He's going to go on autopilot. Like it's, 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 there's some human nature involved with that. And for me, I just kind of said, I want to know about that person, like just the raw Seth Godin, not the, you know, one thing I love about COVID-19 is, I love when I see Jimmy Kimmel at home with not the bright lights and not the fancy producers. I feel like it's it's made a little bit more of a freestanding game for everybody out there and kind of humanized it. 
So for you, when you're getting interviewed, do you ever feel this person, like they're not captivating what I would like them to captivate? Or do you just kind of say, not my business, I'm showing up as the guest and uh, I'm going to do my thing and take care and have a great life after and check out my book. (laughs) Um, First of all, you're the first person who's ever said to me, one thing I love about COVID-19. That's a, that's a great sentence. You should have that tattooed on your arm. Um, yeah, I am super fortunate in that I don't write books for a living and haven't for a very long time. Mm. I have no desire to trade anything for a book sale. And the, mm. the, I'm not hustling it. If people don't want it, they don't want it. So that's not really the case. My friend Simon wrote a book inspired by a book by James Carr's called The Infinite Game. Mm. or infinite and finite games and an infinite game is a game you play to play and a finite game is a game you play to win tennis Mm. is a finite game so in tennis when someone puts up a lob you're sitting there saying to yourself how do i slam this so the game is over (laughs) yeah and when you're playing catch with your four-year-old you're not trying to win catch Mm. you're trying to play catch in a way that you get to keep playing catch Mm. and that's how I view a podcast interview. I rarely find myself on autopilot. That's why these are so exhausting for me. Yes. Thinking about the question and saying, well, I have an autopilot answer, but what could I say that would help this interviewer get to where they are seeking to go for their audience? Mm. And I have to make that up in my head in like less than three seconds. Of course. That's why I'm a good podcast guest. Yes. Not because people have read my books, but because I'm trying to help the interviewer accomplish the interviewer's goals, I'm not trying to accomplish my goals. Mm, mm, interesting. Yeah, I, I feel the audience loves, and I mean, we, we have had a lot of success in the podcast and the, and the and listener feedback always goes to the same thing. Ryan, I just, we love the human to human element. It's, it's like watching two old friends have a conversation and you have an audience that's kind of in the corner and, and just kind of going through the motions of that. And I, and I said, I, you know, I don't do trickery in an interview. I talk to them as humans. And sometimes, you know, it starts out really awkward. And I'm like, oh, you know, I better uh, better get this going soon or it's going to be a little mayday, mayday. And then other times it comes out of the gate and I'm like, I'm just going to shut up and, and, and let whatever happens happen today. And every podcast, I can honestly say this, and I, I'm sure you've heard this from your workshop, people is, it's, you know, somebody say, Hey, you know, are you more comfortable in episode one or, or one fifteen or one twenty? I just love that first six seconds. It's edgy. You know, when that zoom comes up or the Skype comes up, it's, it's just, you know, you, you sink or swim in that moment. And I think that is what's going to achieve growth. I know we're coming to the end of our well, time. I, I just want to, I just want to interrupt because it's not often that I get a chance to drop celebrity names, but, um, I used to do a series of interviews for American Express back in mm. the days of cable TV. And um, I had some great ones with Chris Anderson um, and uh, a few other tech leaders. And then I had Richard Branson. Oh, and, Richard yeah. had a, and he had a cold. And he was terrible. He did nothing to make my life better. And I, <laughs> I learned so much from that interview because I understood... From his point, if he's going to show up, he should show up. Yes. Or she can. Yeah. And then they hooked me up to interview Diane von Furstenberg, the mm. fashion designer. And mm. I was really nervous because I don't know anything really about the fashion industry. So I read both of her autobiographies. She has two. 
Mm. And um, my audience was small business leaders. So the goal was how to learn from each one of these people's journeys when, right, when we're talking about small business. Right? So Tom mm. Colicchio was a guest. He was great. Mm. Um, so I start to talk to Diane about the economics of fa- fragrance versus cosmetics because it's okay. a whole chapter. Okay. For okay. So she could really dive in on this. Yes. Not only hadn't she written her autobiography, she hadn't even read it. <laughs> and she's like, in the interview, I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and like, just one sentence. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I learned so much from that about how to maybe do more than my share as a guest. Yes. It, well, it, th- thank you for being empathetic. It's, it, it, you know, you, know you, you do make the great point because, you know, sometimes you knock off a bio for somebody and they're like, well, thanks. I think this, I mean, I didn't write it. It sounds really lovely, Ryan. I appreciate you on that. You know, I, I, I still go back to the human to human. Uh, my last question for you, it is COVID-19 related because, you know, of course, there's a, uh, you know, a plethora of, of negative news. And here locally in Canada, you know, we're shut down. We kind of went back to the original lockdown uh, situation that we started with back in March. And of course, you know, you jump on social media and people are talking about that. I'm a, I'm a very glass half full. I'm not naive at the same token, but I, I always look for, you know, opportunities in quote unquote darkness or tough times. And uh, I did mention earlier, but I do feel, you know, one benefit of the COVID-19 is that people have been forced to slow down. And I've had some lovely conversations with people that prior to COVID-19, I just would not have those types of deep intellectual conversations uh, with. So for you, is there any silver lining that you could share with the audience that you say, hey, maybe you haven't thought about this? And I'm not walking you to your answer because maybe you say, Ryan, I hate COVID-19 and it all sucks. I don't know. I'm just asking the question and seeing kind of what your take is on it. (laughs) We're all going to die. And for the first time in my lifetime, everyone confronted that at the same time. And that knowledge helps people decide what's important. Mm -hmm. It helps them decide what is worth their time. That getting through another evening by watching three hours of Netflix, why? So you get Mm -hmm. one step closer to the end Mm -hmm. and just, you know, persisting with something that's not working simply because a long time ago you thought it would a lot of people are like life's too short Mm. and we have you know we live in a world filled with indoctrination with a caste system of unfairness we have trauma we have people who are deprived of opportunity and we also Mm. have a magical technology that connects me to my new friend who lives 3,000 miles from here and we have the ability to connect and open doors for people. And mm. we got to decide what's worth doing in the time we've got. Mm. I have seen that over and over again from the people who do these workshops. I've seen that from the people in my life. And uh, so if 
we're going to come out of this better than we went into it. I hope it will be with more humanity and less of a hustle. Mm. Oh, Seth, I just love this. This has made me feel so good today. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to connect with you as a human, my friend, and I, I appreciate your time uh, so much. I mean, my wife is an avid reader of your blog, by the way. She, she did tell me to say, say hi to Seth for me. I like his blog. So, so uh, much love to the Team Holtz family. Seth, can I just get you to say, uh, before we wrap everything up, can I just get you to say the Reinhold Show podcast? Those four words? Yeah, you can say, hi, I'm Seth Godin, and uh, this is the Reinhold Show podcast. However you want to spin it. Hey, it's Seth Godin, and this is the Ryan Holtz podcast. Thank you so much. And uh, where can everybody find you if they don't already know and your book and whatnot? I'm going to link everything in the show notes to make it very easy for people to check out the book, check out your blog and everything and all Great. things Seth. There's 7,500 free blog posts at Seth.blog, S-E-T-H-S. Blog, and you can see the workshops at akimbo.com, A-K-I-M-B-O. Perfect. And last but not least, Seth, uh, is there anything I can do for you? I always love to you ask are. this question. You're already doing something every week with your show, over and over <laughs> and over again. You're making things better by making better things. That's all we can hope for. Thank you so much, Seth. Take care, my friend, and happy holidays. Same to you. Happy New Year. S see you. Ciao. Well done. Bye-bye. 